the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at highfivecasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at highfivecasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at high5casino.com. High Five Casino. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. That's our one and only super producer, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Max Williams. Give it up for him. I'm Ben Noel. This is is a two-parter that we are doing on purpose. Look at us, man. Oh man, we're like we're like real uh, uh, podcast adults today. I uh, I put on a suit jacket today. Uh, I'm dressing up a little bit because, although I still have a hoodie on under this, uh, because we are diving into some very bizarre stories, and we're not doing it alone. We have guests, don't we? Boy, do we ever! Uh, today we are joined by both hosts of the incredible iHeart Podcast. Tossed Popcorn, um, Leanna Holston and Sienna Jekyll, who are both dear, old, close, funny, but in a hot way, friends who have neither seen nor enjoyed that many films, particularly the <laughs> classics. Uh, I am pulling this directly from your uh, <laughs> Apple podcast <laughs> description because I love it. It's uh, leading with self-deprecation is a way into my heart. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. We're so happy to be here. Now, behind the scenes of our behind the scenes show, you'll get why that's an okay joke at the end. Uh, Behind the scenes here, we have been working together off air to get our schedules to align because uh, both Noel and I and Max as well are huge film buffs. And we love we love listening to Tossed Popcorn. And we wanted to have you all on the show with us today so that we can share some tales true life tales of the bizarre, at times disturbing things that happen behind the camera uh, during the creation of some of some of the best films in the world of film. And when we talked about this, we didn't want to spoil too much for each other, but I 
I was hoping against hope that one of us would talk about uh, one of my favorite urban legends and disaster stories in the world of film. And that's your idea, Liana, the Wizard of Oz. Oh my God. What a, what a cursed, cursed film. You wouldn't think it because it's such a delightful film. I you know. know. I mean, it's, it was definitely a troubled production, wasn't it? It was pure chaos behind the scenes. I love it. Well, why don't we lead with that one then? I mean, it seems oh. like we're all raring to go and hear about some uh, munchkin disasters and what uh, uh, is it like aluminum paint poisonings? Again, I know uh, a little bit about it. Um, I don't know which parts of it are true and which parts have been kind of trumped up and exaggerated over time, but hopefully we'll figure that out right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't mean to start this with too massive of a brag, but I found a book <laughs> and I read a lot of it. <laughs> a book? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if people Wonderful. still do those, but there's a book downloaded from the LA Public Library on my laptop currently about this movie, which is, it's a book called The Making of the Wizard of Oz by, oof, this name, there's no way I'm going to nail this, but uh, Algene Harmetz, I think, is the name of the woman who wrote it. And I'll take it. She Perfect. wrote this. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate that. She wrote it in the 70s and actually interviewed all the surviving cast and crew of the film who she could find to ask about all of these tall tales. Because the set and the movie is mired in rumors and sort of lore about what actually happened. There was a big rumor that somebody died in the making of it. Mm -hmm. And this book uh, has clarified a lot of those. And unfortunately for my sort of dark interest in morbid history, nobody did die. Uh, but fortunately, oh. you know, for them, nobody did die. So <laughs> that is good. Okay, we're going to start at the top. Even from the beginning of this film, before they even had the final script, before they were on set, the movie itself had 10 screenwriters over the course of the writing of it. Herman Mankiewicz, who uh, we, we know perhaps from the film Mank, uh, was the first of 10 screenwriters. Two of the 10 were alcoholics, and one of the 10 had a failing marriage and then turned to drink to sort of cope with that while writing the this it's just so so funny to have such a wholesome and delightful film be written by people whose lives were fully falling apart <laughs> over the course of it. Uh, what I did learn is that it was pretty common at the time. This was 1938. I believe that they were writing it for three to five writers to be assigned to a film at the same time. And then kind of the person who wrote the best treatment or the best overall script won and was chosen to continue on with the project. Wasn't Mank uncredited? ultimately like I think, uh, I think so that, that I think happened they, pretty commonly I believe they ultimately credited three writers and one person as the adapter from the L. Frank Baum novel mm -hmm. uh, and yeah I, I think you're right he was not listed at all in that was it a thing where they were just not turning out the kind of script the studio wanted or were they doing okay and then had these terrible personal demons and struggles that had to be replaced I think it was more the former. I think it was more the studio just wanted to go in a different direction, uh, is my loose understanding from this book that I did read at 11 p.m. yesterday. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for like for Mankiewicz, I think they just went with somebody else's treatment eventually and just changed tact, tack a little bit uh, for our sailing audience. Bit of a sailing term there. You're welcome. And... I don't think anybody was officially fired from the writing of it. Uh, the directors, on the other hand, is a whole other story. There were four directors for the film, 
And they ultimately had, or at one point had Victor Fleming directing the movie, who is sort of the root of a lot of the chaos on set that we will get to. Um, But he eventually left to go direct Gone with the Wind because that film was also struggling behind the (laughs) scenes. And also, you know, if you watch it today, it has not aged well. (laughs) So, Liana, you're saying that sort of the ruby slippers of leadership were sort of switching from person to person? Thank you so much. Gorgeous. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) If there's one takeaway, I want people to know that from feet to feet went the ruby slippers during the making of The Wizard of Oz. I got to say, like, one of the most arresting images for me from The Wizard of Oz are the feet of the witch of the East kind of curling up those, like, kind Mm -hmm. of Tim Burton-y black and white socks, you know? I always found that super disturbing when I was a kid. Uh Uh-huh. Everything mm-hmm. in that, it, it's also weird that everything in that uh, film basically is somehow made of asbestos. Uh, I I don't <laughs> know, like the snow, the, yep. the scarecrow costume, so wild. But mm-hmm. I I propose a um, I propose a theory that I'm making up just now, and I'm just going to make this my reality. You guys don't have to okay. come along with me, but I am going to decide that the reason it went through ten screenwriters. And then numerous directors uh, is due to the studio saying, look, there's going to be a band named Pink Floyd and everything in this film has to match what happens in that album that will come out decades and decades from now. It was a big ask. It was some very like forward thinking filmmaking because I mean, <laughs> everyone knows that that is the only reason The Wizard of Oz truly exists is for like stoner, you know, um, college kids to to put it on mute and, and listen to Dark Side of the Moon. Um, I think that's absolutely right. Beautifully. Which I swear yeah. to God, it does, you guys. It really does. It's weird when the it's when weird. it goes it's to color, the the, yeah. the Munchkins are marching right along with money. I mean, it's 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 uncanny. Um, What's to be said? said? I think L. Frank yeah. Baum, you know, in 1899, he sat down and he said, "You know what? 80 years from now, this is really going to slap." <laughs> L. Frank Baum, noted racist. He was not a good guy. You should say. Which kind of, you know, if you Google anybody's name from the past and then type scandal after it, you're not going to find exciting, fun results. Um, True. Okay. Let's move on to the first casualty on set. This was Buddy Ebsen, who was the original Tin Man. He was hospitalized in an oxygen tent nine days after filming started. This is because you mentioned aluminum-related accidents. The makeup artist powdered Buddy Epson's face with aluminum dust to complete his sort of tin visage, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that, in turn, he inhaled that dust and it coated his lungs. So he woke up one night and couldn't feel, I think, like the left side of his body and he couldn't really breathe very well. And they took him straight to the hospital and he was there for a long time. That's what we call movie magic right there. (laughs) Yeah. That little sprinkle of fairy dust is actually Uh aluminum that's coating your lungs. Uh (laughs) It was pretty brutal. I love it. It's just all of this is so grim. Um, They do think, though, that this was either an allergic reaction to the aluminum or it was a chemical effect of the fumes from a substance that was mixed with the aluminum because the makeup Uh artist kept saying, I used pure aluminum dust like this shouldn't have happened. And so it seems like it was... It had been used elsewhere and not coated people's lungs and sent them to an oxygen tent in the hospital, but for poor what? buddy. 
You got to remember, too, I mean, you know, I mean, we're obviously dealing with some stuff right now in Hollywood uh, related to lack of safety on set, you know, with Mm -hmm. this whole Alec Baldwin debacle. So it's certainly uh, an interesting thing to talk about. But back then they had very little safety oversight. Uh, It Mm -hmm. was just all for the pictures, you know, they didn't really think of the welfare of actors the way we at the very least try to and have supposedly a lot of fail safe kind of mechanisms in place to make sure nobody gets hurt or, or nothing happens like that. Totally. And MGM in that year, which is the studio that produced this film, they were supposed to make 52 movies a year, every year. So everybody was focused on just churning out stuff instead of doing things in the most safe way. But so he was replaced. Was it was he replaced he was. due to he just didn't want to go on because he uh, was like, nope, not worth it. Well, again, they got that 52 film a year schedule. So they, how long can they wait for this guy to survive? Yeah. And while he was in the hospital, MGM called and was like, do you know when he's going to be back on set? <laughs> and they were like, nah, he's not well. Why would you ask that? <laughs> um, he did recover after, I think, six weeks, but then was prone to bronchitis for the rest of his life, which is wow. sad. And he was, I know. <laughs> He, he was replaced by Jack Haley, who actually didn't know about the aluminum reaction or the hospitalization, nor did the rest of the cast, because apparently Buddy like just didn't show up to set one day and it was considered polite to not ask questions at the time. So nobody was really that aware of what had happened. Uh, yeah, by the way, we can't get away with that in, in the podcasting stuff. You know what I mean? I feel like I feel like there's something in our contracts that says we have to tell each other if we have aluminum poisoning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. No, I, I heart was very clear about that when we started. <laughs> Is that if you ever get aluminum poisoning, legally you have to tell us. It's the famous aluminum clause. It's a boilerplate mm-hmm. these days, you know, mm-hmm. uh, directly right, because yeah. of this whole debacle. Yeah, and we are grateful every day that those rights have been protected. So this is, so this is already, um, this already sounds like stuff that would make major headlines if it happened today. I think this also gives us an illuminating look into just how how powerful studios were while also um, being somewhat ruthless when it comes to mm-hmm. their treatment of their cast, their crew, uh, even their stars, right? Judy Garland playing the the protagonist, Dorothy. Uh, what She wasn't exactly having a walk in the park either. Is that correct? No, that is absolutely correct. And thank you. They chose Judy to be the lead of this film. Uh, she was 15, I think, when they decided to cast her. And she was 16 when they were filming it. And she had just signed a contract with MGM two and a half years before then and had had smaller parts. But you could tell given how they were casting her leading up to The Wizard of Oz, that they were intentionally giving her larger and larger roles to make her a star so that by the time Wizard Mm -hmm. of Oz came out, she was a bit more known. Also, it's so sad. I mean, her story is so, so sad. But MGM fully, they, they wanted her for her singing voice. They loved her singing voice so much, but they didn't like how she looked. And so they put her on very strict diets. They put her in very specific, like they had her nose redone. They literally shaped her into what they wanted her to look like to match her voice, which is what they really loved about her. So we're talking like uh, plastic surgery? Plastic surgery, I believe so. And then they also later on, I don't think they did, did this for The Wizard of Oz, but for her later project, they would put her on like, I can't remember which drug it was, but they literally gave her what she would call happy pills that kept her awake God. for 72 hours so that they could film so speed, constantly. Like yeah, popping, yeah, yeah, yeah. Popping bennies, essentially. Mm-hmm. On set. Yeah. Cigarette and diet, then, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, it was just so 
sad. Um, so essentially, like she, her regimen from the studio is probably what kicked off her lifelong pill and alcohol addiction. I would say that's a fair guess, especially if they started her so young, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think she that's started with MGM at 13, which is, you just are going to get, it was all of the drugs and alcohol on top of just like being a child actor is going to mess you up psychologically anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. This is this is the thing that gets me too because I I think it it's fair to say that many people grew up with grew up thinking of this version of Wizard of Oz along with the Wiz as sort of canonical childhood films. You know, I loved it. Like in and these are of course the days before Facebook, not to date myself, and I I would spend time thinking like I don't who would I be in this uh who would I be in this story? You know, can't be mm. the star. As Dorothy, I don't have the range. I knew that even at my young age. But uh, the more we learn about what these folks went through, the less and less you you envy them. You know what? Mm-hmm. Like, what if you had the chance to be in one of in, in one of the most popular, most well known films of all time, but you had you knew that you would be going through hellish things for that that shot at immortality. It's it's a tough question to answer. Especially mm. the more we learn about the costumes, right? Because the Tin Man is uh, only one example, right? Like, weren't mm-hmm. there other problems with costumes in general? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Ben, my favorite spring cleaning takeaway is that post-clean clarity that you get, where you're like, wow, how have I been living like this? Yeah, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless and Mint Mobile has phone plans for just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Y'all, it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. And use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumber5Casino.com. High Five Casino. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah. I, I just remember. It was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody. Like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville. Oh, 
right? It's, oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was, a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh, yeah. There sure were. We did, you mentioned that the Scarecrow's costume was made of asbestos, which is such a fun fact. <laughs> It's so it's so stupid and dumb, uh, and and the snow that the falls on the poppy field also famously asbestos, and it's funny that they had these very fireproof costumes given how many people literally caught on fire during the making of this film. Wait, One what? of them, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> sure, 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 yeah, <laughs> great question. <laughs> so Margaret Hamilton, the Wicked Witch of the West, icon, legend, queen, we love her. Yes. She, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just, oh, I can't separate her from that little theme, yeah. But cyclist extraordinaire, where, how would she fare in the Tour de France? Probably well, we have to assume. In the scene where the Wicked Witch shows up after the house has fallen on a soon-to-be-shriveled foot, Wicked Witch of the East, and she leaves after the end of that scene, she leaves in like a poof of smoke and flame, and it's very exciting. But when they were filming that, as she was exiting, she was supposed to go down through sort of a trap door into a pit, and then the smoke and the flames would play over her, so it looked like she had disappeared. But the flames started too early, so she was still in them rather than below ground in a pit where she should have been. I know. It's also, this is very sad, the reason that this happened is because it's sort of the fault of Victor Fleming, the director, where... They had two shots. They had two good takes of that scene before lunch. And then everybody left for lunch. And when they came back, Victor Fleming was like, let's just get a couple more for insurance purposes, just so that we know we have it. And it was in those. Yeah, that puts for insurance purposes uh, to a (laughs) different meaning. (laughs) (laughs) It was in the last take. Obviously, they didn't do one after. But in the last take after lunch that this happened, which is that because she didn't go down soon enough, her hat and broom caught fire, which ended up scalding her face. It burned off her right eyelashes and eyebrow. And, and this is gnarly, so sorry in advance. All of the skin on her right hand, which oh. was, oh, the, the phrasing of it in the book 
and again, I, I do apologize, but if I had to read it, you have to hear it, was it was as if someone had peeled the skin like an orange off of her Ooh. right hand. She got degloved. That's yeah. another term Yikes. for that. Uh, yeah, it's so interesting. Uh, like these types of effects in this era of Hollywood, it's such a neat kind of like um, transition from theater type mm. effects, you know, mm. to film. So you've got like things like a pit that you go into. It's all very kind of like lo-fi um, yeah. and, and kind of theatrical. So it makes mm. sense, you know, the timing and all of that would be so important. This kind of makes me think of also like, it's almost like the proto like Michael Jackson Pepsi commercial kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, debacle where he he, you know, was, I think, a pillar of flame, like scalded his face and it was all about timing. But that's a live event, you know, mm-hmm. so this is very similar in terms of like the timing and the firing and all of the things having to communicate correctly. And that clearly did not happen here. Yeah. Yeah. And it got worse, which is that the green paint, the green makeup that she was wearing was toxic because there was copper in it. So oh. after she'd been so severely burned, they had to treat it like they had to pour alcohol on those wounds to make sure that she didn't also become like. Uh, what is that medical Septic term? Septic or something. Septic, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, wow. And a friend had to come pick her up from the lot. MGM did not offer to send her home in a car. <laughs> wow. <laughs> They're like, take your broom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She had to call me. Your bike. Most of my hand came off. Like, can you come get me? <laughs> it's not in the budget. Uh, sorry. We have, yeah. you know, uh, uh, in a few decades there'll be something called uber you could wait for that or you can yeah. call a friend yeah Al Frankbaum <laughs> also famously sensed that in a hundred years there's gonna be a car service <laughs> that was like one of his main home. things mm-hmm. I, yeah you know i i want to stay on one thing here liana because uh you mentioned i think it's very diplomatic to say that this this situation this uh tragic accident is is the fault of the director victor fleming so one of the things that gets me, he is the director of the film, but the more you learn about him, the less cool he seems. Like, he seems like a, a real pill. Was this mm-hmm. behavior with the, was this behavior with the Wicked Witch scene, was it uh, an exception to a rule? Or is this just the kind of stuff this guy did to people? It was pretty constant. And here's a, a very perfect example of that. <laughs> think myself, uh, is <laughs> the witch was out for about six weeks to heal and didn't come back to set until about February of the next year. She, quote, didn't sue for the very simple reason that I wanted to work again, which is leading in back to your point about how studios were so powerful at the time that even when you were severely injured in a set accident, you didn't want to be labeled, especially as a woman, as like difficult or anything like that. Um, but the day that she returned to set, Victor Fleming tried to get her to do another fire stunt. And she was like, no. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and not Scoff. do that. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the scene in the movie where she's skywriting a threat to, it says like oh, surrender Dorothy. The iconic and scene, yes. Mm-hmm. The iconic skywriting threat scene. Um, and so she was on a broom. The broom was elevated and there was a, a pipe under it that was blowing like fire and smoke out behind the broom. And she heard about it and... She kept asking people, like, why do you keep saying this is safe, but also giving me a fireproof costume? I don't understand. If it's so safe, why also I need to be in, like, an asbestos suit, basically? (laughs) And so she refused to do the stunt. So in her place, her stunt double, Betty Danko, did the stunt for her. And Margaret Hamilton had told Betty, she was like, hey, you don't have to do this. It's pretty dangerous. It seems pretty risky. I literally just got my hand back. Like, I really would not recommend that you do this. And Betty said, no, no, they're going to pay me $35 for today if I do this stunt, which is more than they paid her normally. 
So. I don't, let's can we inflation calculate that real quick? Oh, sorry, it's a thing we do. Uh, sure. Where we just go beep, boop, boop, beep, boop. boop. Of course, we must use our inflation calculator. It's a sunk cost anyway, uh, Sienna, Liana. So we have to like, you know, for the guys in accounting, we have to use this every so often. So it's $35 true. in 1938. Here we go. Uh, that is going to, if we get a drum roll. And a drum roll. That is about, that is $692.06. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, yeah I would, I you would get too. on a flaming groom for that as well. Absolutely. I'll do it right so. now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's like a, a day rate for like a non, you know, speaking extra, maybe. Mm-hmm, or are we mm-hmm. lower than, I mean, that seems really low ball for a bet- featured stunt performance by today's standards. You guys work in Hollywood, wouldn't you say? No, I mean, it's so much more than I, I make in know. a day. I would absolutely if, do it. If if oh, okay. the stunt double was in her early 20s, then I get it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 We've all been a woman in our early 20s being offered $600 to dangle from a dangerous place and said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do I'll it. I'll do it. hundred percent. I trust the fortitude of my, of my joints. I think I can handle it. But, but Betty gets up on this broom. They lift it like 10 to 14 feet in the air. And the pipe that's under the broom blowing out smoke and flame exploded. And it it exploded so hard that it like blew her off the broom. And she fortunately (gasps) caught herself with her hands and she got like one leg around the stick of the broom and just was dangling there until they could lower her down to the ground. Her left leg was bruised from her thigh to her knee. And, and this is another gnarly injury thing. There was a two inch deep wound that circled her leg almost entirely and like contained bits of her costume in it. Oh, dear God. Yeah, and I so mean, she was again back, back to the theater thing. I mean, you know, they didn't have green screen back then. This would have been like someone had had to have been hoisted up on rigging mm-hmm. at a not uh, insignificant height, uh, and then kind of flailed around with a flaming pipe shooting out from behind the broom. Is that about sum up the scene? I think that's right. It really does feel like the actors were just sort of another prop for directors at this time. Mm-hmm. The theatrical yeah, thing, totally. yeah, very much so. They just are another thing to. To make the yeah. the spectacle happen, totally. but yeah, I think and a lot of directors is, really didn't think about their actors at the time. Oh, not at all. The other thing is Margaret Hamilton, while she was refusing to do that stunt that blew Betty off the broom, Victor Fleming came in to Margaret Hamilton's dressing room and was like, "Come on, like play along. You're you're being silly. Like let's do <laughs> Come this. Come on, come on. Yeah, like, like do, does who gets persuaded by that argument? Mm-hmm. Who, who's like, I've got one word for you. Come, Come on. on. And then they Come go, on. you know, I've Come never on. thought of it that way, Vic. Okay. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to jump in here real quick, I, I kind of imagine that whole thing going on. Like he's in like, her room. He's like, Come on, you should do this. And then all of a sudden there's a loud explosion in the back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just so. And yeah. then he's like, Come on, it would be totally fine. You know, and you hear like the woman screaming, like uh, she's holding onto the broom. And he's still trying to convince mm-hmm. her. It's like, no, this is a yeah. terrible idea. Pay no attention yeah. to the screams behind the curtain. Right. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Classic <laughs> reference. Uh, yeah. And it's it's honestly, it's pretty remarkable reading in the book because Margaret Hamilton was interviewed for the book. She was still alive when they were, when the author was writing it. And it is pretty incredible the way that she just flat out refused to do it. Because if you think about 
actors at all at that time standing up to a studio and saying like, you know what, no, I'm not going to do this. And especially women who could so easily be labeled as like challenging to work with or, you know, you could be eliminated from the production so quickly. It is pretty heroic that she stood fast and refused to do it. I mean, it sucks for Betty, but good for Mark. 100%. (laughs) And this is just, uh, it's interesting because this, this story takes us to some really dark places and we've already encountered some things that are gonna gonna stay with people the next time they watch The Wizard of Oz, but this is nowhere near uh, all the terrible stuff that happened backstage. I'm I, Now that I'm thinking about it, we could probably end up doing like a, a limited series show, just six episodes on all the terrible stuff that went down. Uh, and, you know, it because of these stories, Liana, I have never tried to find out what happened behind the scenes of Return to Wiz- Return to Oz, that sequel oh, that came yeah. out way later, because that thing terrified me as a child. <laughs> Total nightmare fuel. Uh, <laughs> she's like in a she's in a sanitarium at the beginning and getting like electroshock oh. therapy and Jeez, basically yikes. like. Oh, have you not seen it? It's it's absolute uh, absolute nightmare fuel. And then there's like the wheelers or these the rollerblade guys. Yeah, quadruped yeah. yeah. rollerblade people. Oh no! What year? Yeah, and, and the uh, this is from <laughs> yeah. the early '90s. It's got Feruza yeah. Balk yep. in it. It's no, like a little right. young Feruza Balk, and mm-hmm. uh huh. Yeah, these movies were scary back then. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. We have a date. It is 1985. Oh, yeah. Max mm-hmm. with the facts. There okay, so. <laughs> Co-produced by cocaine, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Probably. Yeah. That's right. Well, <laughs> oh, great. I love, I'm loving this enabling. No, yeah, before we, before we move to yet another story of bizarre, disturbing behind the scenes things in people's favorite films, what was like, as a takeaway, what was the thing that surprised you the most overall when you, you started learning how the you started learning how the Wizard of Oz sausage got made. You know, like I, <laughs> I'm afraid to ask about the flying monkeys. Frankly, oh, those poor guys. I mean, I was, when Betty Danko got hospitalized for getting exploded off a broom, the doctor who treated her was like, "Oh my god, two flying monkeys were just in here a couple weeks ago because they <laughs> fell down." <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. Oh, Come on. God. The vibes were bad. <laughs> it's not a good time. <laughs> I wonder what surprised me the most. I think it was. Okay, this is a little bit sad, but just know that everybody was fine by the end of it, which is that Toto, um, who was played by Terry, the Karen Terrier, got a little bit stepped on during the filming of one scene. And that, for some reason, I was like, I get that humans didn't have rights in the past. That, to me, is fine. I don't really, that doesn't bother me. But to know (laughs) that a dog was at risk of injury is so bothersome. And fortunately, Terry recovered. She was totally okay by the end of it. But her trainer did pass out out of anxiety (laughs) when she returned to set. So that I think that to me was like, oh, whoa, this production really was bad. Well, I I think uh, Ben's spot on saying that we could at the very least devote a whole episode to this. um, But I think it probably deserves surprise. It hasn't already happened. uh, Mm -hmm. A limited series um, to go because, you know, it's a whole book. I mean, we we, we could be here uh, talking about the uh, the woeful occurrences on the set of The Wizard of Oz all day. Did you have any kind of a a biggie to, to leave us with before we go to a break and then come back with another story? I mean, this is this is not an onset accident. This is a, a little preview for our to plug our own Wizard of Oz episode, which is that mm-hmm. the book itself is considered to be a metaphor for the populist movement in America at yes. the time. And yeah. uh, wow. oh, I love it. 
It is (laughs) such a fun reading of the thing. And I'll just give you a little clue, which is that the ruby slippers in the book were originally the silver slippers to talk about the free silver movement that was going on at the time in America. Yeah, that stuff would have translated uh, perfectly over time, I'm sure. (laughs) Gold standard, yellow brick road. Uh The pieces all tie together. You know, uh, this also, is it weird that this makes me want to Rewatch. I, I don't want to say hate watch, but rewatch the Wizard of Oz. Uh, there, I'm going to be thinking about this. You know what I mean? How many takes was this? How many people uh, ended up catching on fire in this scene? You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We haven't even talked about how sleazy the Munchkins were. Well, and oh, a lot right. of that there, there was, is, yeah. is just full prejudice. Like the book has a whole chapter about the actors who played the Munchkins and about how much rumor spread around them because it was just Hollywood being like. We don't like these people. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Then I, if yeah. if so, I apologize to the estate and the relatives of the Munchkins. I have a lot more to learn about this. Uh, <laughs> One of the, the stories that I always heard that really kind of smacked of like a spooky urban legend was that in a scene you could see uh, in the background like a Munchkin, lifeless Munchkin corpse hanging <laughs> from a tree. Right. And oh I think that's not true, but uh, <laughs> it's the kind of stuff that sure makes for a good story. Oh, yeah. Ooh. I have not heard that. I love that. It's so spooky. Oh, the, I believe sure it's is. at the very beginning. Um, so everybody, go ahead. Get thee to uh, the streaming platform or VHS machine of your choice and uh, check out check out The Wizard of Oz and let us know. Uh, let, let us know what other weird facts you have learned about this this amazing film behind the scenes and all the terrible things that happened. And, all, and uh Liana, Sienna, is the Toss Popcorn Wizard of Oz episode out yet? Big time. Oh, very much. Oh. Big time. No Talk about a lot of this. A, uh, get you to a podcast streaming platform of choice and <laughs> check that one out, too. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino with real prizes and big Vegas hits at HighFiveCasino.com. The hottest games right from Vegas, and all winnings go straight to your bank account. Hundreds of exclusive games, free daily rewards, and come back to get free coins every four hours. Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details at HighTheNumberFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino, and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, 
Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. All right, well, I guess I will go next and turn back the clock uh, a good little bit back to 1912, um, just a month or so after the sinking of the Titanic. Uh, you know, big ship, uh, famously impenetrable, you know, all of the technology and the, you know, different compartments and all that, the, the unsinkable ship that very, very much sank. Um, <laughs> and this is a story about one of the survivors of the HMS Titanic, a uh, very um, up-and-coming, you know, kind of bright, shining star in Hollywood um, by the name of Miss Dorothy Gibson. Um, Dorothy had kind of started making a name for herself in silent films. She was known for, you know, having uh, a really good kind of presence and comedic timing. Um, and she, you know, had a bright future in Hollywood. Um, she already had kind of a career uh, between 1906 and 1911 um, when she was 17 uh, as a stage performer and a dancer in vaudeville. Uh, and around 1909, she started modeling um, for a famous commercial artist. So she would have been in kind of some of those like Mad Men style kind of artist renderings that you would have seen, you know, in, in advertisement back in those days. Uh, she was a cover girl. She was on the cover of things like Cosmopolitan. Um, and she also, you know, was starting to do uh, film. She signed a um, uh, contract with Eclair Studios, which I had never heard of. Um, Eclair Studios in 1911. Um, There's a reason we haven't really heard much about Eclair Studios. The whole studio uh, burned to the ground (laughs) and almost all of their uh, prints were lost in the fire. That feels like how so many businesses ended in the past. It's just all of it burned down. All of it, it's just gone. Yeah. Um, so on March 17th uh, of 1912, um, after she'd already, you know, started kind of really getting into the pictures, um, Dorothy and her mom went to Europe on vacation, but she was uh, called back to Hollywood um, to start working on a new series of film. Like, you know, very similar to What's Up with the Wizard of Oz. It was kind of a churn and burn kind of machine back then. And this was in the days like before feature films were the thing. It was more about making 
making these, they call them one reel films. So they would be what we would think of as like shorts, but a program wouldn't be a feature film. It would be like a series of these shorts or like, you know, early animations and like newsreels and all of that. Uh, and then of course, like these kind of silent uh, dramatizations. Um, so she had to come back. So they decided to book two tickets, she and her mother on the maiden voyage of the RMS Titanic. Excuse me. I think I uh, mistakenly referred to it as the HMS Titanic. Sorry. My nautical uh, knowledge is not nearly as good as y'all's. Um, and they boarded, they were in Paris. They boarded at Cherbourg on the 10th of April. And uh, of course we know what happened. <laughs> we know what happened there. She uh, <laughs> was uh, playing bridge apparently with some very friendly New York bankers uh, <laughs> is, is how she described it um, to the New York dramatic mirror, which I love. It's, it's not like the daily mirror. It's the dramatic mirror. Oh, they, uh, they imbued extra. all their writing with a sense of gravitas. That was sort of their thing. Oh, um, that so feels she, like such this, a, yeah. a newspaper invented by like theater kids. It sure oh, does. yeah. I was thinking yeah. the same, you know. Uh, so, this is the dramatic so, mirror. This is the dramatic mirror, okay? <laughs> we we only run melodramatic stories. The advertisements all have to be full of turgid prose. <laughs> yeah, like... Exactly. So, Noel, this is, this is something that you would introduce me to off-air. And what's, what's fascinating is that the her life... Gibson's life was going pretty well up to this uh, up to this post. And uh, I have to ask, do any of us know how to play bridge? I just want to get us. Oh, no, only you have I to be not. an old lady to, to know my, how to play bridge. It just kind of comes naturally. Mm-hmm. My whole family, except for me, knows how to play bridge. And it is upsetting <gasps> at every holiday. They're like, should we all play bridge? And I say, I can't. What? No, I don't want that. <laughs> Why do you is all that the know it? Like Trumps, Trumps is a thing in Bridge, right? Coming up, Trumps is good, or okay. is it bad? I don't even <laughs> I know. Love that. I, uh, I know you can gamble at Bridge. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I think in a in a recent season of um, the Fargo television series, uh, which is great, um, Ewan McGregor, his character, and his uh, love interest in the in the show, um, who is played by I can't remember her, her name. She was also in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I'm totally blanking on on the actor's name, but they are professional bridge players. Um, that Whoa. was the first I'd heard of there being a professional <laughs> bridge circuit. But back in these days, it was definitely a very very popular game kind of a had a bit of a high society vibe to it you know you only okay. played it with like bankers essentially um but you know in the midst of this bridge game she heard what she described as a long drawn sickening crunch oh. <laughs> Not, not, not good. Uh, and she, she, uh, she was alarmed. Um, uh, actually, I just want to uh, credit the article that I'm pulling from. There is a really good blog post on the History Press called "Dorothy Gibson: The Woman Who Survived the Sinking of the Titanic and a Nazi Prison." Oh uh, my we're, god! We're, gonna, we're not going to get to the Nazi prison part. That's sort of like its own part part of the story. But uh, yeah. definitely check that out on on the uh, the History Press uh, com. It's a really great history blog. So she hears the sickening crunch, the long drawn out sickening crunch, and she decides to go investigate and notices that the deck is now lopsided. Whatever that means. It's not a good thing to observe, a lopsided (laughs) deck, you know, when you're out to sea. Uh, so she rushes back to her uh, and her mother's quarters and, and gets her mom. Um, they go back out to the deck uh, where they are very lucky to be on one of the very first lifeboats that were launched. Wow. Um, and as we know, you know, from the James Cameron film, they were largely <laughs> reserved for people like her and these bankers she was playing bridge with. You know, the high yeah. society folks kind of got um, the uh, the early um, uh 
lifeboat positions. So uh, kind of problematic and weird. I have to say, good on her for hearing a sound and doing something about it. Because (laughs) as someone who lives alone, when there is a weird noise, or like anything that sort of seems like maybe it's an earthquake as I live in Los Angeles, all I do is sit where I already was and say, well, hope everything's fine. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like if anything goes wrong, surely someone will alert me. I would absolutely have died on the Titanic. Well, I I also have a question here because- it would, would be hard. <laughs> Statistically, it's it's a tall milkshake. But uh, yeah. I'm doing so Mostly well in this game with Dr. Mario. I don't know. I know. I'll probably yeah. sell just finish it out. Yeah. Noel, I, I assume, though, that one of the primary reasons uh, Dorothy Gibson was able to escape at all was because she was in first class. Is that correct? Mm. That's what I like, mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was wow, uh, those yeah. early lifeboats were reserved for, you know, Billy Zane uh, and his yeah. ilk, you know, so. <laughs> Um, but they did get on it. It was lifeboat number seven. They didn't realize though, until they were out to sea, you know, in those icy, uh, waters that there was a hole there, there, there had been a hole that was, I don't know if it was as a result of the crash. It may have just been a faulty lifeboat, but a hole in the bottom of the lifeboat caused, uh, water to, you know, this ice cold water to start rushing in and flooding the boat. But, um, Dorothy explained in that same article from the New York dramatic mirror. Yeah. They, uh, she, this is her quote. This was remedied by volunteer contractors. Contributions from the lingerie of the women and the garments of men. And everyone so. laughed at my spanks, says the banker. Yes. My negligee oh, uh, served oh. a very, very important purpose. So they did, they did survive. Um, they were able to, to get to safety thanks to, uh, you know, these, uh, these negligees and I'm assuming like vests or something like that. The, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the, the uh, accessories, you know, things that you could kind of part with. Um, so the studio head, uh, hearing the news along with like the rest of the world that the Titanic had sunk and knowing that Dorothy, you know, had, had been on it. He does what studio heads and executive producers and the like uh, often do. Hey, you think about how they, how can I exploit this? Mm-hmm. You know, how can I exploit this and make some money? I had to be the first to the table. Anytime something big happens in the news, you can just almost hear uh, the sound of Hollywood executives, like, you know, light bulbs coming on and like gr- greedy, you know, kind of Mr. Burns type fingers rubbing together. Yeah. Like, how can I make, how can I convert this tragedy into grosses? Um, <laughs> I think it might be something too, where it's like, you know, it's a matter of respect. And the real tragedy here is, is if we don't get anything good out of this, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is for the people. This is for, this is for Gibson. This is for the bottom line. Anyway, pass the cigars around. Well, like that's, that's a good point. Well, you know, it's obviously we, we know what the real motivations are. And then we also know how someone in that position would communicate that to the person involved and trying to make it more noble than it actually is. Like, oh, no, this is an opportunity to honor the memory of those brave mm-hmm. men and women, you know, mm-hmm. who lost their lives with the Titanic. This is an opportunity for you to tell your story, Dorothy. And this guy's got the most evil Hollywood uh, movie tycoon kind of name, too. His name is Jules Brulator. Oh, no. Yeah, Jules Brulator. Oh, um, I love he's actually, that. He's yeah. And yeah. here's the beauty of it. He's the reason. Yeah, he's total, total uh, Dickensian villain type guy. And here's the uh, the irony. Maybe it's irony. I always forget. Alanis Morissette kind of confused me about what <laughs> irony really means. Um, but he uh, is the reason that she left Europe in the first place. Oh. So he's the reason she was on the Titanic in the first Jules. place. 
Um, Jules Brulator. Jules Brulator. Yeah, exactly. A real monster. So she gets back and he immediately is already, the the gears are are turning. Like I said, the the wheels are in motion to make a dramatization of the sinking of the Titanic. And he wants Dorothy to be a part of it. Uh, He thinks she is uniquely positioned to tell the story, to tell her story, right? Um, So he ropes her in um, under the guise of kind of being a producer of the thing. And also he wants her to star in it. And he's able to make the case in pure, you know, uh, Dickensian villain kind of fashion um, to, to, to be okay with this and to be on board. Um, so they start production, I believe, uh, literally um, a, a week, the, a week after she gets back. And they combine <laughs> wow. like stock footage, like newsreel, not stock footage, newsreel footage rather, of the, the, the icebergs and all of that stuff. Um, and they film some stuff, you know, on a set. And again, it's just a one reel film. It was finalized in 1915. Oh, and by the way, according to this uh, blog post um, and other sources, in order this is this is their take on it. In order to preserve his reputation, Brulator married Dorothy. <gasps> no, no, they've been yeah, they've been having an affair. Snidely whiplash kind of guy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh. They have been having an affair. So he was okay. twisting the screws in so many ways, right? I mean, emotionally twisting the screws, like acting as though he had her best interest at heart. He's now her husband. I mean, this guy is 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 a real piece of work. The number of times I've been like, we do a historical context on our podcast, and the number of times I've been reading about some producer or director who gave a woman a hard time, and then the article is like, and then he married her. Right. <laughs> Bananas. So it's all fine. Yeah, this guy's also uh, nineteen years older than her. Yeah, that's um, right. That's of right. Course. But of you course, find find what works for you. But it feels like a messed up dynamic. <laughs> The whole thing, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a power dynamic, right? I mean, she's yeah. like, you know, super young and hungry. And to your point, you know, in the Wizard of Oz segments, very, very beholden to the studio. You have a contract. Mm. You're kind of like their property, not to mention being a woman. You don't want to rock the boat. Oh, um, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, the pun was intended after the fact. Is that a thing? People die, be, yeah. man. Know, people, <laughs> a lot of people die. So the film comes out. It's a big hit, actually. It's a big hit. It received... Mixed reviews, let's say. Um, the Moving Picture World issue on May 11th, 1912, described um, her performance, Gibson's performance, as a unique piece of acting in the sensational new film play of the Eclair <laughs> Company. Creating a great activity in the market for the universal interest in the catastrophe has made a national demand. And then the review goes on. Ms. Gibson had hardly recovered from her terrible strain in the wreck when she was called upon to take part in this new piece, which she constructed as well. A constructed, I'm, I'm guessing, refers to her creative hand and kind of shaping the thing. Um, it was a nerve-wracking task, but like actresses before the footlights, this beautiful young cinematic star valiantly conquered her own feelings and went through the work. Bravo, Dorothy, bravo. Um, a surprising and artistically perfect reel has resulted. And then we've got the New York Dramatic Mirror uh, yes. again, um, uh, really like skewering the whole thing. Uh, Lean into seems this like, one, yeah. Oh, it's super <laughs> drama. The bare idea of undertaking <laughs> to reproduce in a studio, no matter how well equipped, or by reenacted scenes, sea scenes, an event of the appalling character of the Titanic disaster with its 1,600 victims is revolting, especially at this time when the horrors of this event are so fresh in mind, and that a young woman who came so lately with her good mother 
A good mother, <laughs> safely through the distressing scenes, can now bring herself to commercialize her good fortune by the grace of God. Is past understanding. Shame on you. So that's like Hollywood. a five stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's fine. Follow it up with yeah, B minus. Uh, yeah. So I heard, and Noel, correct me on this, because uh, you've been reading, you've been reading more about this. I heard that the film she was actually in ended up like you can't see a copy of it today, right? Does the the whole no. thing still exist? Well, remember I, I talked about earlier, the reason we haven't really heard much about the Eclair Film Studio uh, is because it, there was a fire. Uh, it is considered a lost film. Only a handful of um, black and white production stills uh, still exist to this day um, because, you know, all of the original prints were lost. So this is considered a lost film. Um, and honestly, that's really, yeah. I bet it was the ghost of the Titanic getting its revenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it's, you know, how long did it take for them to make a 9-11 movie? I mean, it was, it was many, many years, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think as, as, as rough and, and kind of uh, manipulative and gross as Hollywood can be, no one's making that movie a week later, you know, uh, it's, yeah. it's not happening. Um, so yeah. there was a whole nother layer of grossness and opportunism that existed in Hollywood back in these days. And, you know, as, as you could probably gather uh, from that, that scathing review, it was a very difficult thing for Dorothy to do. The, she mm-hmm. was described by, you know, people who were around as look, having the look of someone who had had a nerve-shattering event take place um, and that she would burst into tears periodically, you know? So, again, when you think about the you know, influence that this uh, gross film producer is kind of wielding over her, she obviously did this absolutely under duress, um, thinking about all of those factors that we talked about in Wizard of Oz that, well, I better do it uh, or else I might not have a job. Um, mm. And it turns out she was so distressed by the whole thing. You can't necessarily blame this entirely on the film. I mean, it could have been a lot of factors, but she stopped acting uh, after this. Um, this was this was the last thing that she acted in, I believe. Um, and it was, you know, largely because she was described as kind of having a, uh, a nervous breakdown and a sort of a loaded term. But she was not well. And hmm. this probably exacerbated it. I mean, I'm sure, you know, PTSD, I don't think it was a thing at the time, but, you know, that's definitely what she had. <laughs> and this mm-hmm. could not have been good for that. Oh my uh, on, on a positive note, though, if you do want to see her on the silver screen, I believe there is one film that is still the there's one extant film that stars Dorothy Gibson. It's called A Lucky Holdup. It's very different from the Titanic, from what I understand. It is an adventure comedy. So there's that. <laughs> I'm trying to look for some positivity, you know. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. yeah. A Lucky, what's it called again? A Lucky... A l- Oh, wait, Transatlantic. A lucky hold-up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lucky hold-up. Ah. Sure, that sounds so. Okay, yeah. well, let's check that out uh, to soften the blow of this uh, pretty tragic story, but super interesting and uh, very much in line with what we talked about, you know, with the production of Wizard of Oz, or at least more like the politics behind mm. the way actors uh, were treated. Um, yeah. And this is this right. really laid the groundwork, you know, for, for what happened in the Wizard of Oz in terms of, like, actors just being kind of pawns for the mm-hmm. uh, money-making schemes of these um, these awful <laughs> film producers and directors. So yeah. that's that's that story. <laughs> oh, I feel like actors on contracts with these old studios felt the same way that I did when I had to buy a mattress for the first time as an adult, which is like, <laughs> they told me the price 
And I was like, I guess, I guess I have to do this now Uh where they had to stick with the film. And I had to give someone $700 for a mattress. Hey, stick with so this podcast game and they'll send you a, they'll send you a Casper or a purple. I know. Days, you know. It's, I gotta it's get a third of your life. I mainly started a podcast to get a mattress. Uh-huh, that's I, that's literally yeah. why, people, uh-huh. why people do it these days. Yeah. That's how Ira Glass got started. Yeah. There's <laughs> right. one, yeah. one, uh, one note I wanted to add. I thought, uh, Noel, this would interest you. It's very tangentially related, but we all know the later Titanic film, James Cameron, like the biggest plot hole there, spoiler alert, is that there's clearly enough room on on the well, debris for Leonardo I want to get everyone's DiCaprio. take on this. I want to yeah. get everyone's mm-hmm. take on this because I've, I've heard people make the argument that, you know, yeah, there was enough room physically, but maybe, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio's slight frame may have been just the thing that, like, you know, tipped it over the, the edge into sinking sure. territory. What do, you, what do you guys think? Is this an unfair criticism or uh, do you think that, um, that Rose was kind of hogging the door? Mm. Well, Liana, have you seen the Titanic? Or Titanic? Thank you. Yes. Ooh. The boat itself? Sure. <laughs> no, I, I Were have. You, <laughs> I, you know, I, I might look like it. If you do my hair right, I do look like I'm from the year 1912. But uh, it's true. I've seen I it. I think it is. Yeah, it is very true. Um, my stance is a poor choice of a, of a prop item, but the social commentary itself is apt of, you know, the woman sure. who's in first class comes from money, was guaranteed to have a good life would be the one who survives and the guy who got on because he was, I don't know, maybe playing bridge and won tickets in a bridge duel. <laughs> a bridge duel. Maybe a dice game, you know? So a backlog yeah, 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 dice yeah. game. Yeah. That's However, so I can't class. remember in the movie. But that's that's and, my take. Okay. What about you, Sienna? Well, I have not seen the film, but I have seen many a meme about mm. that particular part. So I know about that. And Based on those memes I saw, I mean, they made some good arguments. It seems like there was a lot of space. I, I could see a lot of positions he could have taken to fit onto that. <laughs> he's a small guy. I mean, yeah. Yeah. you know, great actor, not the, not, not the largest guy. Yeah, that's right. fine. That's like Tom Cruise style. Uh, this I'm bringing this up, though, because I wanted to see if you guys had heard of this. I heard a rumor about the new Titanic that I, I finally confirmed. Uh, almost all the casting crew uh, or a sizable amount thereof actually got incredibly sick when filming this because somebody laced the seafood chowder with PCP, which I did not. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that everybody's nodding like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was a big uh, yeah. selling <laughs> point. I, 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 th- I heard it was LSD, but I'm not quite, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm mistaken. Uh, it was definitely a three-lettered uh, a, a psychotropic substance, and it was mm-hmm. all um, as a kind of, you know, middle finger to James Cameron, which sort of is confused. You know, he's a notoriously difficult man to work for and, and, and you know, puts people in really uncomfortable situations. I mean, not uh, Wizard of Oz level. Yeah, he's apparently an awful guy and wants what he wants and uh-huh, does whatever Hollywood. it takes to get the shot. Yeah, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, again, no one's inhaling uh, toxic dust or anything, but they definitely are hanging out in ice cold water for, for long periods of time. But uh, it, it does seem a little off to me that they would like dose the crafty, you know, with uh, right. with with drugs uh, instead of just, you know, James Cameron's personal lobster play, yeah. maybe. Personal lobster. Well, Sir, your personal seems lobster. like a misplaced uh, act is all I'm saying, you know. Yeah. yeah. Also, wasn't it the present day cast? Like, wasn't it the woman who was like 104 during the filming? Yes. Yeah, it was 80 people got hit with the, the PCP. Uh, oh, one of them being Bill Paxton and James Cameron. Uh, 
that that's correct. So it didn't actually get uh, Winslet or DiCaprio, but I can see how someone would react adversely to Cameron's exacting style. I had heard that his he was mainly doing the Titanic so that he could get the funding to do deep sea submersible exploration. Like I'm not, mm. I'm, I was joking about the Pink Floyd stuff at the beginning of the show, but I, <laughs> I seriously heard that James Cameron had Titanic as sort of an excuse to have his Jacques Cousteau moment. Yeah, we that. we did a re- an episode recently on this super interesting Danish guy uh, who was an Arctic explorer and made like a tool out of his own frozen feces to dig himself out of like an avalanche collapse. Um, and he well, founded what's the guy's name, Ben? Do you remember? Sorry, yeah, um, Peter. Bad job, I Peter. Peter Froschen. Froschen. What was his last name? Froschen. Froschen. Yeah, yeah. So Peter yeah, Froschen. Froschen um, who? He, indeed, yeah, it, was, it was. It was just so uh, he he fashioned himself a, a cudgel, if you will, or some sort of chisel, kind of out of uh, his frozen poop, like and then shit. he dug himself out. And then he went on to found uh, the the Adventurers Club or the Explorers Club. I forget which one it is. Um, and uh, James Cameron is a, a member of that club. So full circle there. Also, we handled that whole entire uh, poop uh, chisel thing very maturely. Like Thank we you. handled it. Thank you so Max. well. We, we did tried. not. Not even a giggle at all. Nope. We're podcast adults, like I said at the top of the show. Um, But I think uh, that's that. Let's 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 let's, uh, put a pin in this story. Obviously, much more to discuss um, as far as Dorothy is concerned. Um, Not the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy. This is Dorothy Gibson, our our heroine in today's story. Um, Sad that she, you know, was taken advantage of in this way, and obviously uh, a a promising career in Hollywood kind of came to an end because of of the way she was treated. But uh, kind of par for the course in these old Hollywood uh, stories. So, and hey, we promised a, 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 um, a an intentional two-parter, didn't we, Ben? So I guess that, that means this is where we leave you today, huh? We, we did, we did. And uh, shout out, of course, to uh, Wizard of Oz and to all the blood, sweat, tears, and burns those people went through uh, to make such an amazing film. Liana, Sienna, it has been a pleasure. We're so glad that you're with us for this two-parter sneak peek for part two. We're going to learn about some, uh, we're going to learn about one of the most iconic actors in American history and one of the weirdest and their lives intersect in interesting ways. But before we get to that episode, why not give Toss Popcorn a listen? Sienna, Liana, where can people find the show and learn more about your work? You can find us wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeart Podcast app, and anywhere else that you want to listen to podcasts. We're everywhere. We are also all over social media at Tossed Popcorn. We got Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Clash, if you can believe. I don't even know what that is. We don't really way ahead of the the social media curve. Um, Oh, man. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. You can also find Ridiculous History on the internet. Um, We have a group called the Ridiculous Historians on Facebook that you can join and um, share memes, uh, hopefully with uh, Rose and Jack not sharing that door uh, and whatever other historical tidbits you guys want to discuss. Check that out on Facebook. You can also find us on Instagram at Ridiculous History. Uh, You can find us as individual human people on Instagram or other social media platforms. I am exclusively on Instagram at HowNow Noel Brown. How about you, Ben? 
The rumors are true. You can get a look at the misadventures, some of the behind the scenes research I'm doing for this show and for many other shows, including stuff they don't want you to know, by heading over to Instagram where I'm at Ben Bolin, B O W L I N. Uh, you can also check out some spoilers for upcoming episodes at Ben Bolin. HSW. And the reason I can say spoilers is because I did a poll and it was it was close, but it was like 60-40 people are okay with spoilers. Uh, <laughs> we won yeah, we want to thank uh we want to thank you guys so much for hanging out with us and staying for the conclusion of this two-part series. Uh thanks as always to the one and only Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams who composed this slap in Bob. And oh, also Noel. We made that executive decision not to have the quizster appear at the end today, right? Thank God. Okay. Thank God. Now I, we, we didn't want to. We didn't want to subject these fine people to him. Mm-hmm. No, we'll we'll uh, we'll keep him at bay for just a little bit longer. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. Welcome to Burger Yippee. Would you like a hot apple pie today? Yes, yes, yeah, I won! Woohoo! So that's a yes on the apple pie? I just went big time playing High Five Casino on my phone. Real cash prizes, free daily rewards, over 1,200 games. Yeah. So yes or no on the apple pie? Whoa! <laughs> I won again! I'll take that as a yes. Drive around. Have you had your High Five moment today? Only at HighFiveCasino.com. High Five Casino is a social casino. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. Play responsibly. Conditions apply. See website for details. High Five Casino. Diamonds Direct has done it again. This month only, get ready for an offer you can't resist. Buy a natural diamond engagement ring of one carat plus and receive a free natural one carat diamond tennis bracelet valued at $2,000. That's right, a stunning diamond tennis bracelet at no extra cost. Imagine giving her the ring of her dreams and her wedding gift all at once. So hurry into Diamonds Direct. Your chance to get a free tennis bracelet will not last long. Details at DiamondsDirect.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. 